How's everybody doing? Just want to make sure we take a moment. Boo, did you just throw something over there? I saw you throw something over there. Hey, I'm sorry for you Notre Lame fans, and um, I'm getting in trouble already, ain't I? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hey, um, I'm so thankful to see all of you here this morning. We're about to have an amazing time uh, in the presence of the Lord. Let me just pray real quick to make sure that like, I am removed from all of this so that you see all of here, him, he'll hear all of him. Um, let's just pray real quick. Father, I thank you for the privilege um, to be on this platform, Father, preaching your word. I thank you, Father, for the people that you have nudged to be in this room this morning. Please meet them where they are at. Please heal them where they are at. Please see them where they are at, Father. Um, let them know, Father, um, that you're here to comfort and, and to heal and to restore and to reconcile all through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Hey, real quick, I want to do something. It is October. It is a man-made month where we say it's Pastor Appreciation Month. Our pastors don't want the recognition, but I just want to make sure that we acknowledge all that God has done and blessing us with an abundance of pastors. So let's give it up for our pastors real quick. Amen. And let's give it up for the online community. What's up, Nathan and Melissa, Holly, and everybody online? We love you. We are a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Uh, if you are here and you are feeling like perhaps your life is messed up, then you are at the right place and even perhaps at the right sermon. So to kick this off, how many people went out to the um, birthday bash last Sunday? Yeah. Had a good time, right? Had a good time. Amen. So I was DJing at the end of that. And one of the kids came up and was like, hey, will you play Baby Shark? And like, I couldn't play Baby Shark the way that I was mixing the music, but I played a remix. Anybody know what a remix is? Like when, when it's the same song, but you kind of switch it up just a little bit, maybe switch up the words a little bit. So I played the Baby Shark remix. It was like, Baby Shark, do 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 do. Baby Shark, do do. It was really good. And then um, at the Holy Hoedown, how many people went to the Holy Hoedown? How, yeah, had a good time there too. Uh, I played, when it was time for us to clean up, I played the Barney song, clean up, clean, but I played the remix, right? So it was like, everybody clean up, right? I'm just in the remix of songs. So I, want, I, want, I need your help this morning. Can anybody, does anybody know the Father Abraham song? Anybody know the Father Abraham song? Hey, help me sing that real quick. Father Abraham. Yeah. There it is. See, somebody did left arm. Who did left arm? Uh-huh, look at y'all, look at y'all. Well, I got a slight, you know, most of the time I open up with a rap when I'm up here. I don't have any raps for you today, but I got a remix to the Father Abraham song, Ryan. I got the remix, Ryan. It's the remix. Special edition made it this morning. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, but the first time he created life, he did it with someone who wasn't his wife. And that led to a lot of drama between his wife and his baby mama. See, Father Abraham is just like you and me, because he had a messed up family. <laughs> Did that this morning. Proud of that one. So, so, so look at this. So look at this. 
Um, when, I, when I was DJing on, on uh, Friday for the Holy Hoedown, um, you set up your equipment and then you put this white like fence type thing up and Eric, Eric's uh, daughter, uh, Kaylin, Kaylin was like, hey, what is that white thing that is in front of your DJ equipment? And I said, it's a facade. And she was like, well, you know how they are. What's a facade? And I was like, well, it's to make things look pretty because everything behind it looks really messed up. Like the cords are ugly. And when you're doing weddings, you want to make sure they can't see the cord. Mm, right. You already said it. Mm, right. And so, and so look at this. Um, if we're going to get into this series, My Messed Up Family, this is a new teaching series that we're in. We're going to be looking at Abraham's uh, you know, part of the family, Isaac and Jacob. The issue is that a lot of us will walk in here, uh, like we do every Sunday morning, with a facade, right? And sometimes that facade is not for just each other, but we have a facade even to ourselves. We act like our family's not messed up. And so this sermon series, this teaching series, will not work for you if you have this false facade of what your family is. If you really believe that there are no problems with your family, whether it be in the household, whether it be in the extended family, um, whether it, like, like, like if you really don't believe you have an issue uh, and that there's no problems in your family, then you've already missed the first part of the gospel, which is we are all sinners. And therefore, all of our families are messed up just in that alone. But what I want you to do is you, you, I want you to remove the facade. I, I want you to actually Look at your family situation, and your household may have it together, but there's that family member that you have isolated yourself from, or that you've, you've kicked yourself, you've kicked that person out, or maybe you are that family member, or whatever it is. I just want you to have your moment with God in this message. I've been, I've been praying over this message. I've been laboring through this message for the last two weeks, and it is it has moved me in a way I didn't expect it to move me to the point that I'm up here, and I am literally um, just kind of off the top of my heart right now. I've prepped and I've prayed and I tried to put everything together and it just, I couldn't get there because I'm still letting him deal with my family situation. And so think about this. Everybody knew the Father Abraham song. He had many sons. Uh, when you read about Father Abraham, when you read about him in Hebrews, he's in the hall of faith. It was because of his faith that he was this and he was that and he was blessed. And then when you think about Sarah, Sarah, because of her faith, had Isaac. And you're looking at this beautiful situation. And sometimes we get to idolizing some of the people that are in the Bible, thinking that they didn't have messed up families because all we hear about is the good stuff, right? And, and, and when you think about it, uh, Abraham, he, he kind of pops on the scene in Genesis 12. Look what it says in Genesis 12.1. In Genesis 12.1, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, Abram is Abraham, by the way. I'm going to call him Abraham because I start getting it all mixed up and I get in my head. And there's a reason for that, but you have to read for yourself. Okay, now, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I don't know if you read that, but there's a whole lot of blessings for Abraham. And why? Like, why Abraham? Because God chose him. Like, there's nothing special about him that made him the chosen one. God just looked at him. He chose him among all the people and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you this, bless you that, bless those who bless you, bless you will be a blessing, blessing everybody. Bless, 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 bless. And so Abraham is a part of a blessed up family, as we call it. He had a blessed up situation. My question today is, how did Abraham move from having a blessed up family to a messed up family? 
Y'all see that? It rhymes and everything, right? Like it rhymes. Okay, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm grooving here. And so what happens is eventually in, in chapter 15, if, if you go and read the Abraham story, if you start like uh, right around uh, chapter 11 and you make your way through Genesis, when you get to chapter 15, uh, God makes another promise to him. After all those blessings, he says, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. And that son will be the birth of many nations. And if you look up and try to count the stars and if you try to count sand, you won't be able to count all the descendants that are going to come from you. And it's all going to come from you. And so, like, here's another promise of God. God's got a plan for Abraham. And he's like, you are going to be, like, like blessed abundantly through the, the, the birth of your son and all of this. And so what happens when we come to Genesis 16, and that's where we're going to land. This is where we're going to be. It says, now, Sarai, or Sarah, once again, Abraham's wife had borne him no children. So right after this promise of children, we come to chapter 16 and she hasn't had any children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid and perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. After Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abraham's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, as his wife. And so how do we, how do we go from a blessed up situation to a messed up situation? Well, here's my first point. Here's our, uh, you have to ask, where did the mess come from first? Where did the mess in our situations come from? It came from somewhere. And I think at least one of those places is right here. It's, it's, it's our pride and our plans. Notice I said our pride and our plans. Just looking at verse 1, when we were introduced to Hagar, it says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian slave maid whose name was Hagar. That alone was the beginning of the issue. You see, if you go back, so that Genesis 12, when he says, I'm wanting you to go to this land that I will show you, and this is going to be the promised land. In that promised land, there was a famine in the land, a famine in the promised land, no food, things are going dry. And what happens is Abraham in his pride and his plan, instead of, uh, uh, excuse me, instead of uh, relying on the promised land that he would provide in the promised land, he goes to Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, this is what he does. He looks at his wife and says, girl, you are beautiful, right? You look so good. You, Sarah, you are just wondering, mm, you look fine, fine, fine. Because, and we would think like, oh, yeah, he's just complimenting his wife, right? But he goes, and because you look so good, uh, when we get here to Egypt, tell the king you're my sister. <laughs> and it's like, what? Yeah, tell the king you're my sister because you look so good that they might kill me so that they can have you, and I'm trying to preserve myself, and so I need you to tell the king that you're my sister so that I may have favor with the king. And already we just got this messed up situation, right? Like, if I looked at Brittany and was like, girl, you look so good. Uh, when we go over here to such and such, tell them you're my sister. She's going to be like, bye, <laughs> right? We ain't going over there then. But instead of depending on the promise that God would provide in the promised land, uh, uh, Abraham decides that in the famine, he needs to come up with his own plan instead of relying on God, and he goes to Egypt. Well, it's here in Egypt that Hagar is given to him as a maid, as a slave. And so she wouldn't, even, she wouldn't have even been in the equation if he just would have relied on the promise of God from the get-go, right? So all the man who's like, see, Sarah messed it all up. Mm, Abraham messed it all up. Anyway, look at this. Look at this. Look, somebody said yes. Who said yes down here? Look at uh-uh. All right. So look. So uh, verse 2. 
Sarah said to Abraham, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She knows about the promise. She knows that she's supposed to give birth to a child, but she sees that she still hasn't given birth on her timeline. You see where the plan becomes a problem? See, God has promised that she's going to have a child, but he hasn't done it in her timeline, according to her expectations. And since, she hasn't done, since he hasn't done it according to her expectations, now she's going to create her own timeline out of her pride and out of her plan. And now we see a source of where the mess comes from. And some of us are in the same way, right? Like, like we won't rely on the Bible as our guide for how to do parenting, how to do marriage, how to just live in general with our family members. And we start coming up with prideful plans of how we can fix our family ourselves instead of relying on the Lord. And so we start creating things on our timelines. You know some of y'all got these plans of what your child's going to be when they grow up already instead of listening for what God has called them to, or, or perhaps in your marriage, instead of waiting on God to heal the situation, you're just ready to jump out of the marriage, or, or perhaps your child is, uh, 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 or perhaps the children are waiting on the parents to, to heal in some type of way, but you didn't got sick of waiting on them to heal, so you didn't kick them out of your situation or whatever. Whatever it is, you, you, you haven't made God the foundation of the family. And so what happens is she comes up with her own plan. First of all, if the Lord's prevented you, he's probably preventing you for a reason. Just wait. But no, we want to go around the Lord and help him out. We don't, hun we don't humble ourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord. We humble ourselves beside the hand of the Lord, right? We like, you know what? He made a promise. Let me help God out. <laughs> God needs my help, right? It, some of y'all saying ouch, right? Say ouch. You can say ouch. That's okay. Okay. And so look at this. Um, please go into my maid and perhaps I will obtain children through her. Like, this is the plan. Now, now, socially, in its, histori its historical context, this was surrogacy. This is not necessarily a, a, a bad thing. It's a surrogacy from their cultural context. But the fact is God made a promise, and her response to the promise was a human plan, right? This is when flesh is what we're depending on instead of our faith. And, and when we depend on flesh instead of the faith, here's the foundation of what happens, mess. Mess is the foundation. And so Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. This is an issue, not because he listened to the voice of his wife, but because he listened to the voice of his wife over God. It's, it's very, it's eerily similar to Adam and Eve, right? And so look at this. So, so our pride and our plans, after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abraham's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband as his wife. Now, now, we know where the mess came from, but where, my next question is, where does the mess lead to? Where does this mess actually lead to? Well, it leads to our problems and our pain. When we take it into our own hands, watch what happens here in verse 4. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So she gets pregnant by Abraham, and now she starts looking at Sarah some type of way. Like, I could do something for your man that you couldn't do. Can you feel the tension that that would lead to right there? See, see, and here's the sad part. See, Abraham and Sarah never saw Hagar as a human being. They saw her as a solution. They didn't see her as a soul. They didn't see her as a person. They saw her as a solution and a plan. 
Hagar is, is never even consulted in all of this. She's just told, lay down with my husband and give me a child. And he listens to his wife and sees a solution to just making his wife happy. She's never seen as a person. She's only seen as a solution. But now that she's actually conceived, she's looking at Sarah like, I did something you can't do. She's moved up in society because now she's the mother of probably their highest ranking person, Abraham. She's the mother of the first child that he's going to have. So she's feeling some type of way. She gets prideful. And now we got baby mama drama. <laughs> Legit baby mama drama problems right here, right? And so now there's the, she goes from, look, Abraham and Sarah don't see her as a person even then. She goes from being a solution to being a problem. You see this? It goes on and says, this is what Sarah said. Sarah said to Abraham, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarah, behold, your maid, your slave is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly. You see that? First, she was the solution for Sarah's plan. Now she's the problem or the reason for Sarah's pain. All because she was operating in the flesh, all because she was operating out of pride and, and not trusting in God. And some of us in our family situations, this is where we are. We have made decisions in many, many different areas out of our plans, our pride, our flesh, and this is the source of the mess, and then the mess leads to, that mess leads to our problems and our pain. But I want you to see something. I want you to see something here. After she treats Hagar, remember, Hagar hasn't said a word this entire story so far. She's not even seen as a person. She's not heard, right? She basically doesn't exist. She's just a commodity. She's just She's just a piece of meat. She's, she's just a womb to impregnate, or now it's a problem. And, and it says, so when she was treated harshly, she fled from the presence of Abraham and Sarah. She fled. She, many of us have fled, right? Like, you may be the Abraham and Sarah of this, and you've inflicted some type of pain to a family member that has caused them to fled. Or maybe you are Hagar, and, and you have fled because there's been some affliction or pain caused upon you. Regardless of the situations, we end up in this isolated desert because we flee. But, but here's my next point. But God finds us in the mess. Verse 7, now the angel of the Lord, that's God, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, in the desert. See, God found her. She didn't find him. He found her. Most of the time when we're looking for a way out of our situation... God's looking for a way into our situation. You see that? And he comes and, and, but God, right? That but God moment, but God finds her. And look what happens here. It says, he said to Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. 
Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Now that like, this would make us like, what? Why would you tell her to go back to that toxic family? Why would you tell her to go back to that messed up situation? But look what he says. He says, moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I, this is how we know it's God, because who else can multiply descendants? He said, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you will call him Ishmael. Why? Because the Lord has heard your affliction. Think about this, y'all. He's telling her to return to this messed up family situation. But when you return, you're going to give, I'm promising you, if you return, if you trust my promise, you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to name him Ishmael. And every time that you're going through affliction in your messed up family situation, you're going to call on the name of your son, Ishmael. Ishmael, come here. And it's going to remind you of this conversation when you realize that I've seen you in your affliction. In this moment, she hasn't been seen by anybody in the text. The first person that sees her is God himself. And he comes down. We call it a theophany or a Christophany where he comes down before the Jesus incarnate. He comes down and he's actually face to face with her. He says, I see you. I found you and I see you in the midst of your messed up family situation. And I need you to return to that trusting me, me, not Abraham, not Sarah. Trust me. I'm asking you to return to this promised situation. And when you have your child and whenever it gets tough again and you want to run out to the wilderness, I need you to call on the name of your son to remind yourself, I see you in your affliction. Can you hear him calling you? Can you see yourself calling out Ishmael? Ishmael? Her response to this, look at this, verse 13. Her response to this conversation, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. The Hebrew would actually say, you are a God who sees me. You see how in this messed up family situation, she hasn't been seen up till now. And God comes down and meets her in the midst of her affliction and says, you are a God who sees me. Man doesn't see me. People don't see me. My family doesn't see me. The father of my child doesn't see me. But you are a God who sees me. God found her. God had heard her. God sees her. I'm not sure. The the funny thing about a text like this is, is I want you to focus on the text because I don't know where you are this morning. When you walk through those doors, many of you smiled at my face and you probably put on that facade because that's what we do in this culture. Even though we say this is a hospital for sinners, we still tend to want to put the facade up and hide the cords, right? Let them down. Let them down for a moment. This is supposed to be a place where you don't have to keep the facade up. You can put it down so you can be seen. Sometimes God wants to see us through each other, but we won't allow him to because we keep putting up the facade that everything is okay. Everything's not okay, and that's okay. 
But who are you in this story? Maybe you're Abraham and you've been moving and making decisions pridefully in your own plans. And you've hurt people along the way by not seeing people who are supposed to be your family and your relatives. And and maybe you're Sarah. Maybe there's such desires and idols in your life that have led you to make decisions to try to help God out with what you think he's promised you. You're not even sure if he promised it to you. You You just want it. You think you deserve it. Maybe you're Hagar. Maybe you're on the other side of the affliction. Maybe you've been afflicted because of stuff that people have done in your families and it's led you to isolate yourself from your family, to run away from your family, and you feel that you're in this desert situation, you don't know what to do. And maybe you're Ishmael. Maybe all these decisions have just led to this generational pain that you're suffering through. You're suffering, and you weren't even there when all these decisions were being made, but you're suffering as a result. No matter who you are in the story, the Bible says he sees you. He hears you. He finds you. He meets you in your wilderness situation, and he talks to you, and he tells you something. Now, I want to protect this moment. This doesn't mean that you have to go back to that abusive situation that you, were, that you just fled from or the toxic situation you were in. No, no. He said to Hagar specifically, return. That was him telling Hagar, I don't want you to take that and make that what you have to do. But right now, he's telling you something. He's telling you something about your messed up family situation. It may not be to return to the abuse or the toxicness, but it may be to forgive. And perhaps if you're on the other side of that, it may be for you to repent. Whatever it is, he's talking to you right now. I didn't do this first service. I didn't do this first service. I'm going to do it now. My, um, my brother's here, y'all. Yeah. Trey, come up. Come up here real quick, bro. This is, this, is me, this is me off the top of my head. He don't like crowds, so. Everybody say hi, Andre. Hi. You, you almost tripped too, didn't you? Like I saw you. You were a little hot. You thought, yeah, I thought it was. This is my brother, Andre. Um, I love this man, right? Um, so we grew up, like, choosing our own plans and all kinds of stuff, right? Like, we got a lot of trouble. Mama, mama, mama. If she's watching, mama, we love you. <laughs> we got in a lot of trouble. Um, some of you know my story, but uh, along, the, along that time, um, when my daughter was being born, I was supposed to be with my brother. Something ended up going down that led to my brother going to prison. That time in prison, I'll never forget the letters that we would write back and forth. Um, and there was this one letter that came like, he did an 18-year prison term, and one of those letters came back saying, I believe in Jesus. Right? There were a lot of things. My brother Dre is adopted. There were a lot of things that were not even his control that led him to being in 23 foster homes before he was with my family. And who knows how that hurt Dre? and put him in a position where he made certain decisions himself, but God saw him the entire time and led him to Jesus while he was in this desert situation, right? Yeah. But, but here's the thing, and, and this is where I wanna, um, 
I'm gonna try to hold it together because he up here, I gotta be a G, you know. <laughs> Throw it to you, right? Like, um, we're gonna, you got some cards on your seats, and I'm just, I'm just being authentic with you guys. I didn't plan on any of this because um, I didn't know what service he was even coming to. We're asking you to write either the ways of the people you need to repent towards or the forgiveness that you need to give. And then we're going to have you stand up. We're going to have you come take the Lord's Supper. We're going to have you be prayed over by the pastor's going to be here. There's going to be a prayer room over there with people. But, but mine, mine starts now. My card says Andre. See, we, we got a messed up family, right? We got a messed up family, y'all. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to preach myself, right? I want you to see Christ, so please, like. But while, while Dre was locked up, the first five, six years, I, I came, I called, I was there. I responded to every email and, you know, I tried to make sure I saw him as much as I could, but then it got to a point. <laughs> it got to a point where I just stopped calling I stopped coming to see him, and I had every excuse in the world not to, not to go see my brother. And I left him in the wilderness. I left him there. He was just, he was just in prison. I, I somehow pridefully must have thought that, like, I was the reason I wasn't there with him when, honestly, if my daughter wasn't born, I would have been with him. And so I just left him there as if, as if, as if he was a problem. And so I write his name on the card because, Dre, I need, I know I've asked you before, but I'm, I just, I repent of just leaving you in the wilderness like that. I repent of not seeing you when I should have saw you. And I'm, um, I'm asking your forgiveness, man. I mean that. I mean that, like, flat out. Like, no, forget these people. Like, I mean that from the bottom of my heart, Dre. Like, I praise God he gave you a wife. I praise God he met you. But... I failed you in that moment, and it's, it's been hanging over my head. That's, I was, that's why I was struggling with this passage. And so I, um, I love you, bro. I do. I love you, man. You can sit down and go somewhere. <laughs> um, We don't put on shows for y'all, man. Like, I was struggling with this whole idea of writing on the cards and stuff. I didn't even want to do it. You can ask people, like, I was struggling with all of this, and um, this, I was finding, I couldn't find a way to connect. I was like, I can't connect. I don't have nothing to connect to. And so I was, I've been wrestling with this message all week long. But then I saw what happened in the first service and people actually writing names on those cards or just coming to the prayer room or just coming to the pastors. And I, I had to pray for a couple people and it connected with me like, this is my moment too. I'm not just preaching this, this is my moment too. So we're about to take the Lord's Supper and this is, this is what happens. Paul says, when you take of the bread that was broken and blessed and when you take of the blood that was poured out, you do this in remembrance of him. It's a, step of, it's a continued step of obedience for him, right? He says, every time we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death. Every time you repent and every time you forgive, you proclaim his death. 
And, and let me tell you something. If, if Dre was in a place of unforgiveness, it actually puts Dre in a prison. Yeah. It puts Dre in a prison that, that separates our family, that puts him isolated in the wilderness. And how do you get out of that prison? Well, he has to look at Jesus Christ, not me, because I'm not worthy of his forgiveness. He has to look at Christ and understand that Christ died on the cross for any affliction that was caused to him by anybody or any affliction that he's caused others. And so as, as we have you walk down the aisles to come up and take the Lord's Supper, perhaps you in this moment, perhaps this is the most pivotal moment for your family. Where do you need to repent, Abraham? Hey, Sarah, where, where do you need to repent? Hagar, where, where do you need to forgive? Ishmael, where do you need to be reminded that God sees you in your affliction? We're inviting you to come out that prison today. No gimmicks, no jokes. No show, no performance. We're inviting you to come out of that prison today. I got more repenting I need to do with my family. I got more forgiveness I need to give with my family. I want to start that today. I want that shift to happen now, and I want to put God back at the foundation of my household at the foundation of my family tree. I want it all reconciled in Jesus Christ and we're inviting you into that. So we're gonna ask you to stand up. Please stand up. We're gonna have our pastors up front. Myself, I'll be up front as well. Perhaps you don't, have, you don't wanna write on the card but you have something on your heart. We're inviting you to come up and pray with us. It'll be just in, in general prayer. You can drop your cards off in a basket. We're gonna pray over all the names we see or all the situations we see. We have a prayer room with people who are ready to be with you in that moment. But most of all, most of all, we want you to know that whether you come and pray with us or not, God sees you. God sees you. And so we want you to have that conversation with him. And I don't know what he's going to tell you, but we're asking you to trust in whatever he prompts you, whatever he puts on your heart, that you just respond in obedience, knowing that his plan is far greater than our plan, no matter the affliction, because you can call out Ishmael in that. Here's my final thought. When you get towards the New Testament and when you get into the book of Galatians, it says this. It says that those who were born of Ishmael were children of the flesh. Those who were born of Isaac are children of the promise and that the ones who are saved, delivered from God's wrath are the children of Isaac, the promise. But isn't it amazing that even with that, any Ishmael in this room 
can become an Isaac through Jesus Christ. We're inviting you to all of this. We understand the power of the gospel. We understand that God heals. We understand that God reconciles. We understand that God finds, hears, and sees us. So please, as we give you this space to come down, whether you write it on the card, whether you have it here, as you come down to take up the Lord's Supper, allow us the, the privilege to pray for you. Allow us the privilege to pray with you. But when you get back to your seats and you're about to take the Lord's Supper, you have that moment to let him speak and prompt you to do whatever he wants you to do in your messed up family. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for seeing us in the midst of our mess. We thank you, Father, for finding us and hearing us when nobody else has heard us. Father, whether it be those of us who have caused the affliction or those of us who have been hurt because of the affliction, Father, we welcome you into this room to restore and heal all. Our families are messed up because of sin, Father, because of the fall. But long before we even existed here, you were determined that your son would die to restore us into your blessed up family. Father, we walk in that assurance, we walk in that hope, and I ask that those who are under the sound of my voice right now, Father, that you pierce their hearts, that you pierce their minds, and that they surrender this morning to allowing you to heal their messed up family. It's in Jesus Christ that we pray.